Well, hello there, and thanks for tuning in to HC Conversations, a podcast where we have discussions around faith, life, politics, and more, and how to navigate those things as a follower of Jesus. You'll also find audio from weekly messages at Hope Community. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We are hitting record and just seeing what happens today. It's going to be maybe dangerous. a little bit off the cuff. But um, before we jump in, I want to let you know uh, of one change coming to the podcast, and that is the frequency in which we will be dropping episodes. Um, we are moving away from putting out an episode every week and moving on to doing just an episode once a month. So the first Monday of every month, we will do an episode. Uh, the reason for that is it's, it's, it's kind of hard to keep putting out I don't even know if I'll say good content because I don't know if it's been good or not, um, but this will allow us to have a little more time to prepare and so you get a better podcast experience. Right. So if you're looking for a new episode next week, it won't be here. It will be, well, this is September of 2020, so the next October. episode will be in October of 2020. So be looking for that then. Let's jump in. All right. So we were talking this morning um, mostly just uh, about how angry and mean certain camps of theology in America can be. They're so Um, angry. Yeah. Certain Christians can be uh, just about everything, but especially towards other Christians. And so we just wanted to dive into that and talk about uh, the way of Jesus and really how we should be walking and living. Yes. We have uh, somebody watching us this morning as we record this podcast. Um, The wonderful, the one and only Carrie Henning is here with us, except she refuses to have a microphone. So she's just, it's just a spectator sport. So if you hear random laughter in the background, that would be her. Um, Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about this idea though. Not just, it all kind of culminates at the same place, I guess. We're talking about Christians being angry and yelling at each other and just overall, just not being very nice people. Um, But that coincides a lot with what we've been talking about on the podcast so far since we've existed um, with what we just got done talking about at church mm-hmm. uh, as it relates to politics, which is this idea that we're not very good at being shaped by Jesus. Like we're way more shaped by pretty much everything, everything else, else in our lives. Right. And then we try to fit Jesus into that mold. So, you know, take your pick of what that is, whether it's um, a political party, whether it's entertainment, whether that's what my church always told me growing up. It's like, those are the things that disciple me. And then somehow I find a way to make Jesus fit that. And so if I've been brought up in a version of faith that says, if somebody disagrees with you, well, they're terrible. And you have license then to be a jerk to them because, because you know, Jesus made a whip. Like that's, that's the line right right there. Jesus made a whip so we can be jerks to people. No, no, you cannot. (laughs) Okay. So just on that line, like that Jesus made a whip. Um, come on, like Jesus allowed himself to be crucified by the Roman government. He, the apostles took up swords, uh, most notably Peter, and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest whenever they came to arrest Jesus. And Jesus told them to put their swords away and he healed the man's ear. If Jesus was that guy that was out to use his power mm-hmm. and the power of his disciples to overthrow the government, then clearly that would have been the moment to, to do, do that. It. Right. But that's not what Jesus did, and that's not what Jesus is inviting us to do. Um, I think we see a lot of Christians trying to be like Peter and take up their sword and try to, we've got to stand for truth. We've got to, you know, defend the Bible. We've got to stand up for biblical orthodoxy, um, however you define biblical orthodoxy in your theological camp. 
and so what ends up happening then is we don't really look much like Jesus. Um, in fact, we look like anything but Jesus. Yeah, keep talking, Paul. I don't know what you were talking about. That's uh, that's all I got. I'm trying to find I'm trying to find the uh, the swords verse right now. So there's that. We might have to cut this. I don't think so. We're just we're just going to go with it. I won't actually have to go to the verse because I know it enough off the top of my head to talk about. Because that's another one of those verses that people will use as like justification to really uh, go to war with people, I guess. Well, both literally and um, <laughs> metaphorically. But um, this idea of using force or using violence or using coercion to advance the ways of Jesus or the ways of his kingdom. And um, so they'll, they'll, they'll quote that that verse, right? It's it's near the end of Jesus' life. Um, it's actually, I believe it's, it's Thursday night. It's the last night he's gathered together with the disciples. And he... he refers back to something he said before, because before he sent them out and said, don't take a bag, um, don't take anything with you. Right. And that's the one I was looking for. Yeah. And, and, and he says, but now, he says, now I tell you, if you've got a bag, take it. If you've got a cloak or two, take them or whatever. And then he says, and if you have a sword, take it. Right. And we're like, see, Jesus said, now it's time to take the sword. But then like we ignore like just a few verses later where the disciples are like, well, here, Lord, here's two with like two swords, and he says, that's enough. Okay, so you have to ask the question, like what was the point of Jesus saying take a sword? Because they said we've got two, that's enough for what? You're not going to do anything with two swords. Right. right? If, he's, if he's saying arm yourselves to like take something by force, two swords and a group of like 12 guys ain't going to do it. So obviously he has, he has something else, you know, he has something else in mind. Part of the issue there is he's saying, look, it's different now. I'm telling you to be prepared when you go out now. Um, it's going to be a different dynamic now that I'm leaving. But also, he refers to, um, I believe it's in Isaiah, it's one of the prophecies about him, that he would be counted among like um, uh, like the criminals. And so this allows, when they come to arrest Jesus, well, look, the disciples, they're armed, they're leading some sort of re- revolt, and Peter just propels that right along because he whips that sucker out and right. cuts off someone's ear. So it almost gives them grounds like to say, okay, we can definitely arrest Jesus now. Mm-hmm. That's how... I think most scholars kind of explain what he's doing there. He says, okay, you've got two, two, two swords is plenty. We don't need any more. Because then, you know, the, the narrative continues. Peter cuts off the guy's ear. And what does Jesus say? Put it away. Those who live by the sword will die by it. Right. And this also brings to, to mind other passages uh, throughout the Old Testament that talk about the coming kingdom of God, or the, the day of the Lord, and what's going to happen after that, and how they will beat their swords into plowshares. That there will be no need to take up arms. There'll be no need for violence in God's kingdom because that's not the way of his kingdom. Yeah. And we're called, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're called to live like that that kingdom that will be fully realized someday. It's partially here now. Mm -hmm. You're called to live like it's fully here. And so if in the future kingdom, you know, there's no weapons of war, they like like Paul just said, they beat their I don't know, spears into plowshares and no, their... Oh, their, their swords into sword plowshares and their spears, and their spears into, into pruning, pruning hooks. hooks. Yeah, yeah. They make Basically, they take weapons of destruction and they make farm equipment out of them, right? right. To, to bring abundance out of the earth. Yeah, things that were made to kill and destroy, let's turn those into things that actually produce life and right. flourishing, right? That's the picture. We're called to live that way now. And so that kind of perspective is what should be shaping us and molding us. Okay, that's the way of Jesus... And now I need to form my views about the rest of life based on that. Instead, we go, 
I like power. I like violence. I like, we're Christians and we're right, so we're going to get our own way. And then we go looking to Jesus to try to figure out how we can make him fit that. And we go, oh, look, see, Jesus said, take up a sword. Yeah. <laughs> While ignoring the entire rest of the story of scripture. Right. And there is, there's a president that promised that he would give Christians power. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, we, hey, we could have talked about that because there was an article a couple weeks, a couple weeks ago now yeah. that um, got referred to. Uh, I think it was in the New York Times. I think so. Well, a whole bunch of people are just going to ignore that because like, ah, the New York Times can't trust it. Right. But. But the author actually went, Jesus. went to that university and was there whenever yeah. he said those words. Yeah. And actually, whatever, this is a random podcast, so we'll, let's just get into it. I don't care. Um, we don't really have an agenda today. That So that article talked about in 2016. Um, 2015. 2015, 2016. 2016. It was early in 2016 because the election was in November, right? Yeah. yeah sure. Whatever. 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 When President Trump went to some small... Dort College. Dort College in... I don't know, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. I was thinking it was in like Wyoming. I don't know. It's out there. Small town, small Christian college, very conservative, right? People remember the the speech he gave there because when he came out and said, you know, I could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and I wouldn't lose any support, which that's a problem. Um, But what he also said in that in that speech was, you know, evangelicals or Christians, like there's a whole bunch of them, but you don't have any power. I'm going to give evangelicals. I'm going to give Christians, I'm going to give you power. It's like, because you're under attack, you're under attack. So I'm going to give you power. And there, there's, a, there's a camp of Christianity that goes, yes, that's what we need. Woohoo. Finally, a president that's going to give us power. I don't ever see anywhere Jesus or the apostle mm-hmm. saying, Hey, Christians, what you should go after is worldly power. Right. If you want to get things done, you got to have power. You got to have money. You got to have votes. You got to have like, these are man-made ideas, right? Right. Right. It was in Sioux Center, Iowa. Sioux Center. I knew it was out there somewhere. I knew yep. it was somewhere with corn <laughs> and just nothing, flat. I mean, nothing but corn. I mean, like we can talk as we sit here in Ohio. There's a lot of just cornfields around here as well. But um, yeah, so it's that whole idea. It's we have made Jesus in our image. We've made what following Jesus looks like. We, we, we take... We've been discipled by our politics. Mm-hmm. We've been discipled by the whole idea of America and American exceptionalism and power and force. And then we say, okay, let me cherry pick some verses. Right. And let me cherry pick and Jesus. And make that fit my faith. Yeah. It's like there, there's nowhere. And again, you know, you may be mad because I just picked a little bit on President Trump because he's the one that said that. Like, that's not just a Republican thing. That's not no. just a Trump thing. That That is a Republican, Democrat, anybody in power, like Christians throughout generations, throughout history is like, we need power pretty much going all the way back to Constantine in like three, I don't know what it was. It was the late three hundreds was when Constantine became emperor of Rome. Like from that point on, Christianity has been mingled together with worldly power and it, it does not work out well up until that point. Like it was this underground movement. It was very counter and uh, countercultural to everything else in the world. And like the inroads that were made were incredible. And like the world changed by this group of people that had no power whatsoever. It changed through sacrificial love. Right. But then it was like, well, now Rome is officially Christian. And so let's let let's let the church and the state get in bed together. And throughout history, that has never been a good thing. I don't know why we think it would be a good thing now, but it just keeps replaying over and over and over and over again. It's because 
you know, whenever humans go after evil's allure for power, what do we end up doing? We end up becoming the oppressor. Um, we end up becoming the picture of Babylon. Uh, so the same holds true whenever those who would claim the name of Christ go after evil's allure for power. They end up becoming the oppressor, mm-hmm. becoming Babylon the Great, the the great the whore of the revelation. The whore of revelation. Yeah, you, you can say that. You know, we can put a little warning on this. Hey, not suitable for kids. We said whore. <laughs> Hey, the Bible says it all the time because that's the picture that is is given. Like we don't think about that is like, especially Old Testament in, in terms of like the covenantal relationship with God um, and the nation of Israel. It's like it's a marriage. Mm-hmm. The same is true now with 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 Christ and His Church. It's a marriage, and so when you chase after anything other than your one true love. You know, scripture says, well, you're whoring after these powers of the world. It's like, so right. that's what we're doing. We're whoring after political power or military power or whatever as Christians to say, well, we got to do these things. Um, and yeah, it's just the ends don't justify the means. The yeah. ends are never good to themselves, but they right. don't justify the means. <sighs> you know, I was going to say something that you made me think of, and then you used the word whore, and it just made me <laughs> on a whole separate train of thought. Oh gosh, because it had to do with uh, just power and oh, the 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 oppressed become the oppressor kind mm-hmm. of line of thinking. This is why we end up making um, Jesus in into our image, cramming into our view of of the world. Right, we form our worldviews through politics or whatever, family, entertainment, and then we make Jesus fit that. Is because when you really get down to the context of Scripture, it wasn't originally. It's written for us, but it was not written to people that look like me and you. Right. Like, again, we're sitting, we're 30-something white men in America living pretty comfortable lives. By all means, like, we we are in a position of, of power, right? Like, there's really no opportunities that aren't open to us. We're not being persecuted. We're like, but the whole of Scripture was written to a persecuted minority, right. right? The Israelites in the Old Testament, a persecuted minority surrounded by enemies. The church, like the early church, well, I mean, like Jesus and his first disciples, a very small, radical, weird, persecuted minority. The early church, a persecuted minority. It was written by and for people that were like on the outside, that were not in places of power. And so you gotta, you gotta read it for that perspective. That's why it's such good news to people in, in that kind of a situation. But then... As American Christians, we're not in that kind of a demographic of like a persecuted minority, minority report kind of scripture. It's like, no, we, we're the ones in power. And so now we have to read it in such a way that's like, okay, how, how can I read this for somebody that's in power? You right. know what I mean? And, and again, that, that started all the way back pretty much with Constantine. And 312 AD. There you go. 312 AD in Rome and it happened in Germany and it happened all throughout Europe of like when the church rises to power. Well, now we have to make these scriptures say things that keep the the powerful people happy. (laughs) Right. And and part of that's, you know, we've talked about Ben in in our country um, propped up by the religious right, by the Christian industrial complex that, you know, if I write this, these books based on this twisted view of whatever, of manhood, of womanhood, of marriage, of every that everything else that's so influenced by my culture and not influenced by actually digging into what the Bible says, um, then that sells and that makes me lots of money and then I've got to write more books and so then I just keep writing and 
I keep writing and people keep, keep speaking buying. And people, people fill up the seats. They come to church because you tell the people what they want to hear. Right. And it, it's just antithetical to the way of Jesus that mm-hmm. it's through humility, not through power that the world has changed. Yeah. Again, if you look at the early church prior to Constantine, they were just these crazy, weird, radical people. And they did change the world. They, they, I mean, when plagues and things would hit, they would go and take care of the sick and dying and oftentimes die with them. They would rescue babies that were left to die on the side of the road. Like, they would do these things that gained them no power, no good standing with, uh, like, the government. Right. And yet it changed the world. We somehow think, ah, it doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah, and we always hear, uh, well, if you know Christians had power, they would have used it for their benefit. And again, that's not the case because Jesus clearly had lots and lots of power. He He's got the power. He could have called down <laughs> 10,000 legions of angels, he said, to rescue him, mm-hmm. to, to overthrow the, go- the Roman government that was yeah. trying to arrest him and have him crucified. Yep. But in ch- instead, the way he overcame, the way he invites us to overcome is to submit to evil's uh, authority. Yeah. And in doing so, that begins the undoing mm-hmm. of its power. It's it's upside down. Yeah. It's you it's like that you think, well that's not how it should work because that's not how it works in the world. You don't just let yourself be defeated. Right. <sighs> so let's get a little bit more practical. Let's get to it. So when it comes to like right now the election cycle. Oh boy. The the way that Christians exercise their faith and live out their faith isn't by trying to maintain power or an allure of power or um, an illusion. That's what I was trying Mm, to think. An illusion of power. Because at the end of the day, day, whether you're on the right or the left, whoever is the president, whoever is um, on the Supreme Court, whoever is, you know, in the senators, congressmen, they're going to do what it takes to get reelected, to stay in that position. Yep. And so they're going to say things that pander to you mm-hmm. to make you think that you have power. But at the end of the day, yeah, you, don't. you don't have any power. It's them that have power. And Jesus didn't call us to have power. We do have power. We have power in the Holy Spirit. Woo! But it's not power to overthrow with violence, with force, with, lab- mis- with abusing um, other people that are made in God's image by how we characterize them by how we uh, assign labels to them that dehumanize Mm -hmm. and distort that image that God has placed in them. Right. Yeah. I mean, the apostle Paul talks about this idea of like, yeah, there is a battle going on um, and Christ's death and resurrection has, has brought victory and power over things, but not over, you know, people and parties and that kind of stuff. It's like, no, it's the powers and principalities. Like there, there are uh, without getting too, spiritual right there are forces at work that keep people enslaved that keep people in darkness that keep people in bondage and it's like you want to go to war go to war against that right Right. don't go to war against your neighbor that votes differently than you or has a different faith than you or whatever they're not the enemy (sighs) yeah so we're being shaped that that's that's the whole idea Mm -hmm. right we're being shaped by things that are not jesus um and because of that because of uh, where we where we sit, what our experience is as people who maybe have had a pretty comfortable life, on and on and on, we tend to want to make Jesus into our image um, and make faith fit, fit a narrative that we already have. Um, 
you know, one of the good filters for that, that I heard a professor talk about before, like whenever you're going to teach something or talk about something or even interpret a passage of scripture that you're just reading, you know, in your own time, ask yourself, ask yourself the question, is the meaning that I'm getting out of this, would it mean the same thing to a Christian, you know, living in the Middle East? And if the answer is no, you've probably got the wrong interpretation of right. it, right? Because if it has to do with your comfort or power, influence, or, oh, the blessing that God just wants to give me, you know, like, look how comfortable and wealthy I am. And it's like, yeah, if your brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who don't have the same cultural setting as you, if that doesn't apply to them, then it's probably not true. Right. Um, just to kind of get out of that being shaped by the American dream, being shaped by our comfort, being shaped by people of power. Um, yeah, we have, um, you know, well-known pastors uh, who have defiantly uh, decided to, to, re- to return to church against um, government, I guess, mandates. And not um, just return to church, but return in such a way that's like a middle finger to... Right. Right, like we're not going to take any precautions. We're not going to distance. We're not going to limit our capacity. You know, it goes against our, our faith to gather. Um, I just read an interesting... We're going to come back to that. I just read an interesting article the other day that uh, I forget who did the report, but it was a secular organization that estimates that there are now over a million Christians in Iran. Okay, so a million Christians in Iran who is a mostly secular Muslim government Mm -hmm. that doesn't allow Christians to to gather publicly, to gather in mass gatherings. Okay, so you have that group who's growing, who isn't allowed to gather, but yet there are people in our country who the, the government isn't telling them you can't gather. You can still gather. You can gather outside. You have to follow these restrictions. You just can't put thousands of people or hundreds of people in a room together. Right. So you, you, you have, I guess, just the two extremes of trying to, uh, to use the Bible to, to back up my political position uh, and my constitutional rights as an American mm-hmm. versus people who are submitting to the government and saying, you know, we're not going to to use our million Christians, our power to overthrow you. Instead, we're going to do the humble thing. We're going to continue to meet. We're going to continue to to worship in secret. But at the end of the day, you're not God. Yeah. It, and again, going back to the early church, it was that model, like the humble approach. The we're not like we are going to be good citizens. And we're going to do whatever the government says. But we're just not like Caesar is not Lord that's what toppled the Roman empire. Right. Like that is what completely undermined Rome and the the power and the, like the social classes and just like all of the things that were wrapped up in what the Roman empire was, was undermined by Christians, not railing against the government, but by them saying, no, we're going to, we're going to be good citizens. You know, I talked about this in the message yesterday that Mm -hmm. um, Pliny the younger was, was a governor and he's, trying to like investigate these Christians because they're, they're, they're ruining, they're ruining Rome. And he investigates them. He's like, they're not doing anything wrong. <laughs> They've just agreed like not to be terrible human beings pretty much. They're better citizens than our own. They're better citizens than the rest of our pagan Roman citizens. But like that, that kind of love, sacrifice, humility, and the fact that like there, there were no charges that could be brought against them. There was nothing that they're like, no, they, they follow all the, the laws. It, like that is what, changed the world then and it's continued to right mm-hmm. like even when the church came to a position of power you know and it got then church got in bed with governments throughout centuries there was still always within the church like a faithful remnant 
Like there was a group of people that said, yeah, no, this, this isn't right. And we've got to just follow Jesus. And then you, you so you hear about those stories of where, you know, the, the, the people that started like the first hospitals and orphanages and like all of those things throughout history. It's like, okay, there you had followers of Jesus that were like, I don't need to worry about, you know, doing whatever and getting in bed with the government and having power. It's like, no, I'm just, here's what Christ is calling me to do. And crazy that it always revolved around love. I'm just going to, I'm going to carry my cross every day. I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to give myself away. Mm-hmm. I'm going to love my neighbor. These, these basic ideas of following Jesus are always the things that change the world. But the church or Christians seeking power and making Jesus in that image never turns out well. Paul's looking for a passage right now. Do I need to keep just blabbing? Yeah. But see, on the spot, I don't know what to talk about. Carrie, you got anything to add down there? No? No, I don't see. Thanks. I don't know if they could hear that or not. Carrie said we got it covered. But yeah, I mean, so Paul's got what he's looking for. Go ahead. All right. So, you know, we're told that, you know, we have to vote a certain way, that we have to you know, that the Christian thing to do is to vote Republican or the Christian thing to do is to vote Democrat. But the Apostle Paul flat out confronts that idolatry. Um, He says this in Galatians chapter 5 and talking about the freedom that we have in Christ. He he says... um, Actually, I didn't find it. I thought I did. Oh, liar, liar. But the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's definitely in Galatians. It is in Galatians. I just can't, can't find, find it right now. <laughs> can't find things on the spot. It's always hard. Yeah. The only thing that counts, it's not voting Republican. It's not voting Democrat. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Is my faith causing me to love other people today? Right. It's not getting up in arms about having to wear a mask. It's not getting up in arms about government restrictions to, to gather for corporate worship. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. But don't I have a right as an American citizen? Well, maybe, but you're a citizen of heaven first. I'll say the (laughs) only thing that matters. You don't have any of those rights, right? You're his. He bought you with a price. You are a doulos, (laughs) a slave to Christ. Yeah, You have been purchased with a price. You are no longer your own. Get over it. Like, the, I, like, I like yeah. hey, like, if you're not a Christian, fine. But if, if you put your faith in Christ, you signed on the dotted line. You said, I want to do this. Right. And I think part of our problem is we have boiled faith down to um, believe in Christ, Say get baptized, Pray a prayer. and you're yep. good. Instead of actually walking in the, can- the, the gospel of the kingdom mm-hmm. and what that means in a life of transformation, um, that it's not about a one-time decision. It's about an ongoing transformation. Um, yeah. Because we have a lot of people who have tricked themselves into believing that they are following Christ when actually they're not. They're following a political party, a social so, social agenda. Yeah. Um, but I said a prayer once. I got dunked. I believe that means, I'm saved. That means I was saved. No. Yeah. Jesus would say, away from me. Yeah. I do not know you. Well, I mean, we've, we've turned the whole... Honestly, we've, we've turned the Christian message, and this is where we're, hey, if you want to tune in to Hope Community coming up uh, this next series, this is pretty much where we're going. We've turned the message of following, of, of like Christianity, of the gospel, the good news, into just, it's all about salvation. Like, you just, it's all about getting saved. It's like, 
no, that's a part of the gospel message, but the overarching theme is the story of Jesus. It's Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. Like you are following him no matter where he goes, but we're like, I prayed a prayer once. Um, we separate like people like, well, you know, I've made Jesus my savior, but I've not made him my Lord. Like I prayed a prayer, so I'm good, but I don't let him have any, you know, impact or effect in my life. And it's like, like, first of all, where in scripture, like, do you see that that's even a possibility (laughs) where you can make Jesus your savior, but not your Lord. We've we've really just missed again, because, and this is, this is the thing. It's discipleship. It's I'm following in the footsteps of my teacher, of my Lord, of my Messiah, of my King Jesus. I am walking in the footsteps in the dust of the rabbi. (laughs) So we have, you know, in, in certain traditions, there are, well, they would be like discipleship classes once you have made that decision. Mm-hmm. But so much of that has been influenced by a political agenda yeah, that yeah. teaches you to follow <laughs> yes. that political agenda instead of following King Jesus. Yeah. Uh, instead of like walking you through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' kingdom manifesto of mm-hmm. how his kingdom works, instead of walking you through what it looks like to follow Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, instead you're taught okay, do these things, believe this, vote this way. Yeah, ha- view the world a certain way. Um, a, a, like you have to adopt, like here's the ideal picture of like, here's what like your like family and marriage has to look like and all these things. It's certainly like God has ideals for things, but the message of Jesus, and again, that Sermon on the Mount is a great example. Like it was, an, it was a call to everyone, like the, the kingdom is open to you. All you, you get to decide, okay, I'm making Jesus Lord, now I got to flesh that out every single day. Yeah. And instead we're like, nope, you check these boxes. Okay. You said the prayer, you know, you're married with 2.5 kids. Check. We can check that box. You know, Oh, you fit this definition of a man. Okay. You fit this def- definition of being a woman. Okay. Right. Great. Now you're following Jesus. We, we've elevated these definitions to Which the place of idolatry. Cultural, right? We make, right. like just let like the whole, there, there we go. We got into the whole gender issue of, you know, this is what a biblical man looks like. You have to be a manly man. Er, you go, you know, hunting, fish, hunting, fishing, loving every day. Little country music for you, right? Like, like that's that's the picture, like warrior kind of man. Um, and then women are, of course, you know, um, just you know, soft and cuddly, and just a motherly, a damsel in distress. Yeah, it's like, like those ideas aren't in scripture anywhere. Right. Those are ideas that are cultural that because we are like, well, you know, we're, you know, America, Christian nation, like we better make these fit. Like, okay, but what about, you know, look at someone as complex as like King David. It's like, oh yeah, he was warrior king kind of, but then if you were to look at the other side of him and said, hey, what would you think of this guy who um, uh, liked to write poetry and just pour his heart out to God? He plays the harp and you'd be like, well, he doesn't sound like a man. Well, this is, throwing rocks at Goliath's head, slaying his enemies, King David. But we don't like to do that. Right. Like, no, 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 or what about Jacob and Esau? Oh, yeah, right? Jacob was described as basically Esau's having, like the caveman. Yeah. <laughs> oh, give me red, red. I want food. Mm. I mean, he ha- was incredibly, like, hairy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just, the Bible says that. He's just hairy. Um, Felt like a sheep. To, in order for Jacob to deceive his father, he took goat skins and covered his hands. Yeah, it's like, man, how hairy neck. was this guy? Yeah, it's like, man, I thought I was hairy. <laughs> well, yeah, but then Jacob liked to stay at home. Yeah, he liked cook. to cook. He had is described as having soft features. You know, he was effeminate, yeah. basically. Yeah. 
Uh, we, we don't have room for that. No, we don't. And it's, so again, like these are all things we talk about. We've been more shaped by our culture and discipled by our culture than we have by Jesus or you know, by scripture. And then we, we read this stuff back in and, but, and, and that causes another problem then, because then there's oftentimes when like Christians will start asking these questions and they're either like shut down by their church or by a faith leader, or they have nobody to like talk to them through right. these things, or they'll start reading the Bible on their own. And like, like that can be kind of a dangerous thing to do because again, we're reading our cultural assumptions into it instead of like trying to understand it in its cultural context and what they're doing. And now all of a sudden there's a disconnect between what I always thought was Christianity and what I'm actually seeing. And so we say, well, I got to throw one of them out. Like Christianity goes out the window. Right. It's like, well, that didn't need to happen. These are actually cultural things that you are rejecting, not Jesus that you are rejecting. But, and then, like you said, we have a whole, and just that on that issue alone, we've got entire ministries built out of like men's ministry, women's ministry. What do the men's ministry always do? Well, we do sports and hunting and fishing and like, you're a warrior, be a warrior, grr. And like, I mean, kind of a, a lot of aggression and violence in these different things. It's like, wait, where is that? Like, where in the Bible is that? Right. Not does it happen because it does, but that that's often uh, like God's people. That's just the culture that they live in. That's right. never like the ideal. Right. And, and where is the precedence for that in the New Testament church? Where is that precedence in God's eschatological vision for the church mm -hmm. of there is neither male nor female? Oh, we're going to get into that There's passage here in a second. There's neither slave nor free. There's you're one in Christ Jesus. You're one in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Like, I mean, could it be that part of the problems that we see in our churches today is because we have tried to separate out men and women instead of allowing them each other oh, to disciple so many cans of worms here. I know. Because now you're getting into the Billy Graham rule. I know. <laughs> Which is a hot button thing. And honestly, I used to be like, oh yeah, I'm all for that, right? That just seems good. It seems smart. It seems whatever. Like if, if you're a, a, a you know a man in ministry, you're just never ever ever alone with a female. Um and if vice versa too. If you're a female in ministry, you're never ever alone with 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 other than the male. And like the problems that that presents that I've really been thinking about over the past couple of years now. Thank you, Danielle Strickland. And um, yeah, she's got a good book out on it that I haven't read yet, yep. but I really want to. But just like, like that caps the opportunity for advancement of a lot of women then because, well, my boss is, you know, a guy and I can never have any kind of relationship with him. But there, there's no biblical precedent for it. Like Billy Graham actually invented that rule. And it, like we do that too. We're like, oh, some other person in another generation at another time. And he had good reason to do it and because so of what was happening and, culturally right. at that time. And so, but like, let's make it completely applicable to us. Um, but yeah, cause there were other people that had fallen in, like through adultery and things at Billy Graham's time. And there were people who were always out to get him mm -hmm. that were like trying to paint him in a bad light. And so, this was something for him. He's like, okay, this is something that I need to do. It wasn't like everybody needs to do this. But anyway, beyond that, it, I mean, just from like the, the, the female perspective, like if I'm a guy and I'm saying I'll never be alone with my wife, like, or not with my wife, <laughs> I hope I'm alone with my wife. I'll never be alone with a female that's not my wife is saying, yeah, I know you guys are laughing at me, but what, what that's either saying is one, I can't control myself. So I'm just a terrible person that's not being molded by Jesus. And two, women are a threat. Because, well, they're just going to try something or whatever. So they're, they're a terrible person not being shaped by Jesus or I'm a terrible person not being shaped by Jesus. Instead of just saying, Jesus is Lord and I'm going to let him have his way with my life. <laughs> it's like, oh, why are you chuckling? Oh, because this could take us down another rabbit trail. I know. Like, I this is should. the rabbit trail kind of podcast. 
We haven't even gotten back into that Galatians passage yet because we got to touch on that. We'll go back there. Okay, so you said there's neither male nor female, right? Um, so this <laughs> this was brought to our attention, and, I, and I've heard this multiple times before, this kind of thinking. This has to do with being shaped by culture instead of being shaped by Jesus. Um, this idea that someone said this, and again, I've, I've heard this kind of thinking before, that Paul in Galatians chapter 3, I think it's verses 26 or 29, says that in the church there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. And so the argument was, well, Paul says there's, you know, there's no Jew or Gentile. So racism doesn't exist. That's it. Paul said there's no Jew or Gentile. So therefore, when we talk about racism today, racism does not exist because Paul said that these class, these don't things don't exist anymore. Like how does one draw like just a straight line from neither new Jew nor Gentile directly to racism? Okay. Again, and this is, I'm shaped by my culture. I'm shaped by what I want to believe. And now, well, here's this passage. Oh, this fits. I can make this say what I want it to say. Mm-hmm. Instead of starting, who's writing this? Okay, it's the Apostle Paul. Who's he writing to? Okay, it's the church in Galatia. What are they dealing with? They're dealing with a lot of dividing lines that are uh, ethnically based. Um, they're dealing with the, the whole issue of, okay, you know, it's Jews and Gentiles. Do you have to become Jewish first? So, like, just reading into it, well, this means racism doesn't exist anymore. It just completely wipes that all clean and says, with no background, no nothing, here's what this English text says. Here's what I think it means. Right. And then it's like, what? where does that lead? Well, then, number one, I'm not a racist. Number two, I don't have to do anything about racism. And number three, those people that are concerned and raising the issue, they're wrong. Yes. So now, now they're lying. I'm creating enemies. Again, we're back to one thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. Well, if I got a brother or sister in Christ that thinks racism is an issue and we shouldn't be talking about, you know, justice and those kind of things. Well, now I don't even, I don't have to love them now. I can just be a jerk to them. Um, but so, so back to that passage, like, let's, let's just talk about this for a minute. What's Paul doing? Paul's talking to people in the church. Okay. In the gathering of Jesus, like the, the, the people of Jesus. He says, in the church, I'm addressing issues that you guys are actually facing in this church in Galatia. We can't forget that. These are issues right. they were facing. These were real things. He says, so in this, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're part of this body, there's not Jew or Gentile. That, that, that doesn't mean that the Jewish Christians are not Jewish anymore and the Gentile Christians aren't Gentile anymore because they still were. And many of the Jewish Christians were still practicing their Jewish traditions. But what he's saying is, within the church, you're one. Like, you, there's diversity, but there's unity. Neither one of you are better or worse than the other. And then the same thing with, with, uh, with slaves and free people. Like, okay, that in the church, you're on equal footing. Men and women in the church, right. men and women, men and women in the church, you're on equal footing. I feel like I should just say that for people to hear and they can fight me later. Um, but like the, the, the point that he's getting at is well, out in the world, like outside of the, the, the Jesus community, well, of course there's division between Jew and Gentile. Of course there's division and like this, this that exists between slaves and free. Of course there's the division between men and women. But in the church, right. those things don't exist. And therefore, they don't exist in the church, but they do exist in the world. The church's influence is to say, here's how it's supposed to be. We're modeling what it's supposed to look like for the rest of the world, and we want to see that infect our culture. It's not to say, well, Paul says, you know, Jew and Gentile doesn't exist, so there's no such thing as racism. No, we recognize today that 
racism still exists and sexism still exists yep. and people being mistreated because of uh, social economic status, class, gender, race, whatever that exists. But we declare not so in the church. Yep. And when the church gets it right, the world takes notice. Like that's Paul's idea, mm-hmm. not some flat reading that says, well, Paul says this isn't an issue anymore. Right. Like, look around. It's still a big issue. Yeah. It obviously was an issue because Paul had to talk about it. Yeah. On multiple occasions. Right. The other apostles had to talk about it on multiple occasions. Like, oh. <laughs> I think that's something we miss, though, too, is just understanding what the apostolic letters are. It's these Jesus communities trying to flesh out what it looks like to live the gospel. And so we learn from their example and say, okay, what does it look like for us to flesh out what does it mean to live the gospel today? Right. Breathe. Jeez, breathe, Phil. Breathe. Deep breaths. I think, we need, I think we need to wrap it up. I think we do, too, because we're coming up on 40 minutes. Yeah. I don't know that we've said anything that's helpful. Um, why don't we just bring it back to the Apostle Paul? The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. Yep. And I need to hear that, too, right? Because it's really easy for me to get mad at Christians, especially. Like, brothers and sisters in Christ mm-hmm. who have different views than me. It's like, how can you possibly see the world that way? And then the Apostle Paul is just like rattling around in my brain says, hey, hey, remember, the only thing that matters is your faith being lived out in love. So yep. that's what we got to do. Yep, we that's love, it. We got to love people. It sounds so simple, but it's hard. It's not complicated, but it's, it's hard. hard. All right. All right. Well, thanks for sticking with us. Um, Don't forget, we won't be back next week. We'll be back in October. So in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, to share this podcast with your friends, and leave us a rating review on iTunes. We would really appreciate that. Have a great week. Bye, everybody. Have a great month.